You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thank you as always for joining us this week. Got a lot going on. We're busy in court. We've got some successes, new documents coming out that are really quite explosive uh, and have worldwide significance. Uh, First up is uh, big news out of the Delaware Supreme Court, Supreme Court of Delaware, uh, Judicial Watch and our uh, client, the Daily Caller News Foundation and co-plaintiff had uh, sued for records about uh, Joe Biden's deal with uh, the University of Delaware to house and then eventually make public his Senate records. As, As I recall, the deal with him was We'll release the records a few years after you leave public office. And so uh, in our view, given the public interest in these records, the public financing of the University of Delaware under Delaware law, we thought these records should have been uh, public. Uh, University of Delaware uh, decided they weren't. Uh, They wouldn't even give us records about the deal. So the agreement to really hide these records from the American people are also withheld. So we sued all the way to the Delaware Supreme Court, and we were specifically focused on the issue of the records about the deal. Because to me, that's in many ways the underlying corruption. There are legal reasons we focused on that as well, but that's really the underlying corruption, isn't it? Why is there this secret deal between a publicly funded institution and Joe Biden to keep hidden his records from his days in the Senate? Remember, he was in the Senate for nearly 30 years. And the records, uh, I'm sure, reflect on all sorts of activities while he was there. He was head of the Judiciary Committee. So that would be interesting to see what he was doing. uh, The uh, woman who accused him of of, um, sexual assault, Tara Reid, she worked for him in the Senate. And she has suggested that complaints that she had about him or complaints she had about him might be in these Senate records. And uh, Biden himself also admitted to communicating with Vladimir Putin and other foreign leaders when he was the United States Senator as well. Uh, And it's not surprising that he did, but this is the sort of thing that there's a public interest in finding out what he was communicating about. Don't you agree? So we want the records and we want records about the deal to keep these records away from the American people. So uh, Judicial Watch filed an appeal to the Delaware Supreme Court asking for a reversal of the lower court's ruling, the Delaware Superior Court, which blocked the public uh, estate FOIA request for access to the records about his um, senatorial records maintenance by the University of Delaware. They've got 1,850 boxes of archival records from his Senate career. So in the Delaware Supreme Court's opinion issued on December 6th, uh, the state, uh, the court ruled that the state's open records laws required the university to provide additional information under oath to justify its refusal to produce records about its dealings with Biden. So what they had done was they had a lawyer come in and say, oh, we didn't spend any government money doing this, so you can't have it. And we're like, well, hold on a second. We appreciate your lawyer and that's wonderful, but you've got to go under oath. And they refused to go under oath about this. Unless it is clear, the court wrote, on the face of the request that the demanded records are not subject to FOIA, 
uh, satisfaction of the relevant court uh, legal section or, or uh, law section's burden of proof requires a statement made under oath. Such a reading of the statutory text is also supported by the statute's purpose. FOIA safeguards a democratic society by ensuring the meetings and records of governmental entities are available to the public. Therefore, if a public body is to deny citizens an opportunity to observe the performance of public officials and to monitor the decisions that are made by such officials, the public body must satisfy its burden of proof under FOIA in a manner that tracks the seriousness of the statute's purpose and policy. Statements made under oath, such as through a sworn affidavit, accomplish that goal. They bear earmarks of reliability and instill a measure of seriousness in the affiant by subjecting affiant to the risk of penalty of perjury. You know, that's really an eloquent way of saying, if I could describe it or summarize it in my non-lawyer way of talking, they told them, this is an important law. It, it is fundamental to our democratic system that people have the right to know, and you need to take it serious. And just brushing it off, oh, we didn't, we didn't have any records here, or don't worry, these records aren't covered because we didn't spend any money. No, I'm not going under oath. They're just going to have to take my word for it. And the court said, no, no, no. That's not the way we work. And this issue is too important. The American people's right to know, in this case, Delaware citizens and the people generally's right to know, is too important for you to slough this off. And furthermore, the court ruled, because universities, factual assertions to the Deputy Attorney General of Superior Court were not made under oath and do not describe the efforts taken to identify responsive documents, they are not sufficient to meet FOIA's burden of proof. On remand, meaning the court sending it back down, the superior court shall determine whether the university has satisfi satisfied its burden of proof based on competent evidence in accordance with this ruling. The superior court is granted leave to accept additional ev evidence or submissions as it deems necessary and appropriate. So this is a big deal. First of all, we were playing in uh, Joe Biden's home court. Uh, the state of Delaware, as you know, is a small, small state. Uh, so this and the University of Delaware is a big fish in that small pond up there. And they lost this deal uh, that they tried to prevent from being uh, scrutinized sufficiently, in my view, and the Judicial Watch's view and now the Delaware Court's view. Uh, is now going to be subject to more court scrutiny. They didn't want it to happen. And now that it will happen. And does this mean we're going to get all those Senate records? No, not necessarily. But certainly this process highlights the secrecy, uh, the illicit secrecy, in our view, around the deal that Joe Biden made with the University of Delaware to keep these records secret from the American people. Not one record from his Senate career is being made public, even though he's president of the United States. As our co-plaintiff and client, the Daily Caller News Foundation, uh, its president said, uh, Neil Patel said, the University of Delaware should stop trying to hide records from the president's decades of political activities. They should be public. This level of corruption should not be happening in America. And as I said, this Delaware Supreme Court decision 
is a remarkable pushback on the University of Delaware's secret deal with Joe Biden to hide his Senate records. And this is the kicker. In the meantime, why won't President Joe Biden release his Senate records? It's simple to do. What is he hiding? So we're going to keep on pushing. Uh, it's remanded to the lower court. Hopefully we'll get some more information in a way that uh, helps disgorge at least some of the records about this shady deal. And then secondly, we get obviously uh, our ultimate goal is to force the release of Joe Biden's Senate records. And uh, this is what Judicial Watch does. I mean, we we began fighting this last year and we pushed and pushed and pushed. And of course, the big media doesn't care because if it were anyone else who was their political opponent, and I don't mean just, I, you know, they say Trump. It's like, no, if it's not their, if it's not a member of the Democratic Party or their, or their ideological ally, they don't really care about this transparency. This is a basic transparency issue. We were all alone in the court here, except with our friends at the Daily Caller News Foundation, which are frankly more legitimate in terms of media and true journalism than the legacy media. So this is why Judicial Watch's work is so important. And frankly, why your support of Judicial Watch is so important, because no one else would have been in the Supreme Court of the great state of Delaware. And now we're holding the, De the University of Delaware accountable and indirectly the president of the United States accountable in a dramatic fashion. So some great news there. And it's, a, it's an early Christmas gift to those of us concerned about transparency, accountability, and the rule of law. Next up is a uh, just a tremendous find uh, by Judicial Watch. Uh, these are documents forced out of the uh, National, excuse me, the Department of Health and Human Services on Fauci, the coronavirus, and China. Now, we had been suing for some time about those topics, and they've been giving us documents uh, in, a, in a dribbling-like fashion. Uh, you may have seen news stories about how the FDA is telling uh, one requester or one, I guess they may be in court now, that they, they can only turn over documents at the rate of 500 pages a month. And there are supposedly hundreds of thousands of documents, which would mean it would take 55 years to release the documents. And everyone's saying, well, isn't that outrageous? Well, that's the sort of thing we've been operating under for some time at Judicial Watch. That's the standard now government response, which is a slow roll of release of information. And one of the reasons they said that they need a slow roll of, slow roll of release of information in this specific group of cases is because Anthony Fauci and his team need to look at every document. So the reason we're getting stonewalled is because Anthony Fauci, in an unusual way, is participating in these FOIA lawsuits. At least that's what the government tells us. So we received, and they're not even giving us 500 pages a month or processing them because they say they're giving them to you, but what they're actually doing is processing them. And you get some and not others because others are withheld or parts of them are withheld. So we don't even get everything that they say they're processing. Uh, it includes a grant application that appears to describe gain-of-function research, research involving RNA extractions from bats, experiments on viruses, attempts to uh, develop a chimeric virus, and efforts to genetically manipulate the full-length bat SARS-CoV-2 uh, 
WIV1 strain molecular, molecular clone. We obtained these through a lawsuit that we had filed for documents concerning the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and the documents are a shocker in this regard. Uh, first up, though, there's an email showing that A, they're hiding stuff from us, and B, reconfirming that this gain of function study was uh, uh, highlighted and shared with top leadership of Fauci's agency, even as they were telling us they weren't supporting gain of function research. On January 27th, 27th 2020, a top official within uh, Fauci's agency, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, uh, wrote the chief of staff for Fauci, Greg Folkers, a heavily redacted uh, um, series of emails back and forth. Some background on our support of the EcoHealth Group, Peter Daziak et al., which has been for years among the biggest players in coronavirus work. NIAID, Fauci's agency, has been funding Peter's group for coronavirus work in China for the past five years uh, through grant, and then they list a number. Understanding the risk of bat coronavirus emergence. Now, Judicial Watch highlighted that document, highlighted that study, and it was our litigation that helped produce this grant application, and I'll talk about in a little bit, that confirms that gain of function was being supported by Fauci's agency, despite his uh, his, his uh, statements to the contrary under oath. There's now been renewed with specific focus on identity cohorts of people highly exposed to bats in China and work out if they're getting sick from COVID. Collaborators include Wuhan Institute of Virology and Ralph Barrick, who is another person who was allegedly involved in gain of function. He was working out of North Carolina. So they referenced some of the studies they've been working but two of the references are redacted. So what are they hiding from the American people is what I want to know. What is Fauci hiding about what he was told about what he was funding as coronavirus broke out? Again, this email is from January of last year. So they were all very nervous about it, it's pretty clear. We also received the application and documents about this, including a notice of reward, an award and the actual grant application. So the notice of award says, the specialists also note that award grantees using highly pathogenic agents may warrant a biocontainment safety facility of BSL-3 or higher. Now, supposedly the Wuhan Institute was four. Then the application talks about, obviously, the research involving uh, uh, EcoHealth Alliance in New York City, which was the big vehicle for spending all this money in China. You should know it wasn't just the Wuhan Institute that was benefiting from your tax dollars. However objectionable on gain of function and other type of research in that area. It was other places in China. Judici uh, uh, the US government, the taxpayers, you the taxpayer, you were the silent, not so silent partner with China in these biological experiments which in my view and most other, and many other expert views, uh, frankly, had, a, had a, a biological weapons element potentially. And we're funding it. Wuhan Institute of Virology, again, part of the group. There's another here that we're gonna look more into, the Institute of Pathogen Biology in Beijing. Among the aims listed, 
the application, these are the applications. This is what they told the government they were going to be doing and what the government was funding. They will sequence receptor binding domains, spike proteins, to identify viruses with the highest potential for spillover, which we will include in our ex experimental investigations. And another uh, part of it, they say, we will use S-protein sequence data, infectious clone technology. What do you think that means? Infectious clone technology. Huh. Does that sound like gain of function to you? It does to me. In vitro and in vivo infection experiments and analysis of receptor binding to test the hypothesis that percentage divergence thresholds in S-protein sequences predict spillover potential. So they're trying to figure out, to be fair to them, look, we've, we want to look at these viruses and see which one of them are dangerous. And it looks like they were going to be playing games with the viruses, replicating them and managing them in a way to figure out which would be the most dangerous. How much were they getting? The cost for the first year, according to the documents Judicial Watch uncovered here, exclusive, 2019-2020, uh, was $736,996. $2021, So, And that, that number was the same through 2024. Thankfully, uh, Trump sent it down, shut it down. In July 2020, HHS wrote a letter to EcoHealth Alliance essentially shutting it down. We are concerned that the Wuhan Institute hasn't satisfied safety requirements under the award and that the EcoHealth Alliance has not satisfied its obligations to monitor the activities of its subrecipient to ensure compliance. Therefore, effective in this letter, July 8, 2020, NIH is suspending all activities. Why isn't there a, is there a criminal investigation going on? I mean, when you have a responsibility to make sure that taxpayer money is being spent as you are promising, is that fraud? There should be a criminal investigation of the use of taxpayer money in this improper way, according to the HHS, to fund this research. Specifically, agency, uh, the agency of Fauci, NIAID, uh, had a total funding of $381,000 designated to be funded, but of course that was cut off. So I think initially only 75 was put out there. This is what the sort of money that they were, uh, this is the sort of activity they were funding. The Wuhan Institute of Virology, for instance, also requested support, this is a quote, for in vitro experiments using pseudoviruses carrying the spike proteins or live viruses in cell lines of different origins, binding affinity assays between the spike proteins and different cellular receptor molecules and humanized mice experiments. Now we've told you separately how a lot of these humanized mice experiments results from obtaining the organs of babies or unborn human beings killed through abortion. I don't know how they got those organs, uh, created those humanized mice in China, but we know how they do them here in the United States, at least until recently, with your tax dollars. In discussion of their research to date, 
The grant applicants wrote, in collaboration with Ralph Barrick at University of North Carolina, we use the SARS-CoV reverse genetic system to generic, generate a chimeric virus. I think it's chimeric. It's one of those words you read but rarely heard hear said. How would you say it? Chimeric. Chimeric. Ah, you see, I never hear that word said. Chimeric. Chimeric. <laughs> I think chimeric sounds fun, but chimeric, I'll go with chimeric. Uh, thank you, Matt. Generate a chimeric virus with a mouse-adapted SARS-CoV-2 backbone expressing SHCO14 S protein with 10% sequence divergence with SARS-DOVS. The chimera is replicated in human airway epithelium using the human ACE2 receptor to enter cells. cells. Thus, SARS-CoV with diverse variants of SLCoV's S protein without the lesions in the RBD can, human, can use human ACE2 as a receptor for cell entry. Emphasis in the original, that last sentence. Now, I, I want you to kind of go back and play what I said again and again and again and ask yourself, is what fit and saying gain of function? Now, these documents are documents similar to these. Were released. So the, uh, the Intercept talked about this stuff back in September. We had also gotten the documents. They got them out before we did. So as our lawsuit had produced these documents that the Intercept talked about, and they had experts look at this. And they said, this is gain of function. We will construct. What is it? How did you pronounce it? Chimeric SARS coves using the WIV1 backbone. I think that's Wuhan Institute Virology. And these S genes, as done previously, they go on. Construction of chimeric SARS COVID viruses, infectious clones with the S gene of novel SARS COVID and the SARS COVID WIV1 genome backbone using the reverse genetic system developed in our R01. How is that not gain of function? Maybe, maybe I'm just being dumb. But we're all become a little bit more expert in this area, haven't we? If at least those of us have been following it. And this indicates to me gain of function. But interestingly, later uh, in the section uh, entitled B P3CO research, which is potential pandemic pathogen care and oversight, SARS-CoV and MERS-CoV are subject to these guidelines and as such reverse genetic studies are subject to review. Importantly, we're not proposing to genetically manipulate SARS-CoV over the course of this proposal. However, we are proposing to genetically manipulate the full-length bat SARS-CoV uh, WIV1 strain molecular clone during the course of the proposal, which is not a select agent, has not been shown to cause human infections, and has not been shown to be transmissible between humans. So they're pretending it's not gain of function while actually describing, at least to me, gain of function. So these are pretty extraordinary documents. They deserve worldwide attention. They should be followed up by prosecutors and investigators in Congress and the media and the world. Now, do I know this resulted in 
COVID-19, I don't. But reading this, it looks like it's in the same ballpark. I mean, heck, that's what they were worried about, a COVID-19, I mean, uh, getting out. So we should be getting more documents. I think we have more documents coming in. But this is, again, the most important thing that's happened in world history in, you know, in however, how long, right? The coronavirus. And what has happened in terms of investigating how it came about and who have been maybe messing around with viruses in a way that could have generated a, uh, in an artificial way this infection. Judicial Watch is doing this investigation. Do you think the Biden administration is seriously investigating Biden's business partners in China? Excuse me, the Biden family's business partners in China, the Chinese government? Of course not. Chinese government, they disappeared people and told everyone they're not cooperating. They're done with it. So frankly, it's going to be up to Judicial Watch to figure out at least what Fauci and his people knew and what the government knew about this. And it looks like they knew a lot. And here we are, nearly um, a full year after the coronavirus emerged, and only now they're giving us these documents. And they've been sitting on them. It's actually now two years, right? Yeah, it's two years. How quickly time, time flies when you're um, being oppressed. And they're now only giving them to us. This is transparency in the modern age. So when Fauci and um, and the media say, I am, you know, you're attacking me. I represent science. This isn't science he's representing. He's representing a cover-up. He's a government bureaucrat who doesn't want stuff. His agency doesn't want stuff about their misconduct or mistakes. And maybe they were honest mistakes, but I don't think this is honest mistakes. They were told there was trouble. And they pretended there wasn't. And... Um, you know, whether Fauci lied under oath, it's, I think it was an open question. It's even more of an open question given these new documents. So I encourage you to go and read them. I mean, it may sound uh, difficult to follow while I'm reading them, admittedly, but I'm reading them in a way to kind of highlight that this sounds like they're manipulating viruses that are pretty darn dangerous. And in China, I don't know about you, I don't trust the Chinese communists to think, well, the only reason to manipulate these types of viruses just to make sure we have vaccines ready. So more is coming. Stay tuned. So one of the outrages of the uh, Biden administration is the uh, targeting and the attempts to jail uh, his uh, political opposition. Uh, we see this with the targeting of Stephen Bannon for uh, not wanting to cooperate with the uh, Pelosi January 6th rump committee. And of course, you may recall the FBI raided the home of our friend James O'Keefe, who uh, founded and is running Project Veritas, supposedly to investigate the stolen diary of Ashley Biden, who was at the, who is, was, is the daughter of the president. And, um, I don't, Project Veritas never published the diary. I know their site did, 
But either way, they're a journalist group and the Justice Department isn't supposed to be raiding the, the homes of journalists. In theory, I don't know legally whether they can or not, but certainly other journalists who publish material that is classified, they don't get their homes raided. And Project Veritas, I was reading after this story came out, uh, James said they turned what they thought, they couldn't A, verify the diary was real. They were concerned it had been stolen, so they turned it over to law enforcement. So we heard that that had happened. I think I read it had happened in Delray. And what I love about Judicial Watch is I can read something or my colleagues here can read something in the newspaper and say, well, well that's interesting. Let's figure out what went on. Let's ask the Delray, Florida Police Department uh, for records about what happened. Well, we got the records. The records show that uh, indeed a lawyer did turn over Ashley Biden documents to police on November 8th, 2020. It was a six page incident report and a body cam footage that was given to us by the Delray, Florida Police Department. And I just love asking local police departments and states sometimes for documents under their FOIA laws because they sometimes give you the documents and you don't have to sue for them. We filed the request November 16th. So this is like two, three weeks ago. And we got the documents. According to the incident report, an attorney turned in, quote, possibly stolen luggage to the Delray Police Department, which, quote, contained uh, documents and em envelopes in folders with the name Ashley Biden. Now, the Delray Police Department included body cam footage of the attorney handing over the items. Now, we didn't post the documents online. We didn't post the video online because it looked like it had confidential information of, uh, of a personal nature of the person turning in the material. So, I, you know, I'm, we're not going to put that out there, but we described it in this report. The incident report, as I said, was filed on November 8th. Uh, now, according to reports, Project Veritas had obtained the diary, if, uh, and I'm not even sure if they did obtain the diary directly, in October 2020. So the possibly stolen luggage was reported to Delray Police Department on Sunday, November 8th at, quote, 11.21 a.m. It was reported as, quote, as a suspicious incident. Suspicious incident, excuse me. The report indicates a body-worn uh, camera in use, uh, so we have the body-worn camera. And under victims, there's nothing there, listed zero. In a printout uh, for the case for additional names, uh, Ashley Babbitt is provided as an additional name uh, related to this, but there's no additional information associated with her. And the incident report says uh, that um, Delroy, Delray police officer Nicole Guerrero, uh, Guerrero explained that she met with Adam Leo Bantner, the second at the Delray Police Department lobby in reference to property that he wanted to turn over to the Delray uh, Beach Police Department. She continued, Adam, who was an attorney, advised that his client, who Adam refused to divulge the identity of, gave Adam some property, a duffel bag and a piece of luggage that his client obtained from an unknown person. Adam's client told Adam, that the property is possibly stolen and he got it from an unknown person at a hotel, which the client refused to share as well. It's also learned that the items belong to a person named Ashley Biden. 
A brief check of the property and the luggage revealed that there were some documents and envelopes and folders that were loosely spread in the bags, which read the name Ashley Biden. The documents all had different addresses, but all had the same name of Ashley Biden. The document, the bags were checked for safety and all the contents were left inside and the bags secured at the Delroy Police Department. The FBI was contacted and advised they would respond to the police department, collect the belongings and take over the case. And then later, he, uh, the, the officer Guerrero writes, I met with special agent Healy. So this is the same day. Um, so they get the documents at 11. He, she meets uh, with the FBI at 424. I met with FBI special agent Healy and turned over a blue duffel bag and a black suitcase in his, into his custody. Both contain miscellaneous clothing and personal property. So this is where things stand. They, uh, you have James O'Keefe saying he turned them over. And then we have these documents. Now, it doesn't say diary, but certainly this police report is consistent with James O'Keefe's defense of what he did. I don't think he did anything wrong, at least based on what I've seen. And I've known James long enough to know that he's scrupulous about the work he does. Uh, And in my view, it raises more questions about the targeting of him by the DOJ and FBI. What is going on here? I mean, it looks to me like someone found something. It was turned over to authorities. So why is James O'Keefe being targeted for, quote, stealing, potentially being involved in the theft with this extraordinary FBI raid on his home early in the morning about a month or so ago? And the Justice Department, the good news is in this regard in James's uh, James's case, because they were taking some confidential material, potentially attorney-client material, it seemed to me, and other material that's typically given some protection by the courts related to uh, First Amendment uh, rights of freedom of the press. And the Justice Department, and typically what happens where you have potentially privileged documents, uh, the Justice Department or prosecutors, the FBI, agree to having, quote, a clean team look at the documents and and call out anything that is privileged. And the prosecutors are not allowed to talk to them about what they found or have access to those privileged documents that are protected by the clean team. The Justice Department refused to do that in James O'Keefe's case. And a federal court judge, I think an Obama appointee, overruled the Garland Justice Department, and really an extraordinary rebuke, and appointed a special master to do what James O'Keefe was requesting. Have someone who is independent look at these records so his fundamental rights are protected. So, I mean, what do these documents show? They show, interestingly, that someone turned into the police department some records of Ashley Babin, excuse me, Ashley Biden. I keep on confusing her with Ashley Babbitt. Ashley Biden's records. And that the FBI quickly was involved. And this was in 2020. Why did it take a year to raid the home of James O'Keefe? How long did it take them to figure out that James O'Keefe might have had uh, some information about this records cache? It stinks to high heaven. So, uh, and these documents further confirm that. So this is just great work by our investigative team. We're able to get these records without a lawsuit. 
We got the records about this outrageous abuse of power, in my view, by the Justice Department, at least records that reflect on uh, the, uh, the, the suspicious basis for their raid on the home of James O'Keefe and um, the operations associated with Project Veritas. So some more great work by Judicial Watch. Uh, you can see we're just firing on all cylinders. December, it, things never slow down. Holidays, corruption never takes a holiday. I, you know, I wish things would slow down between Thanksgiving and New Year's, but things just speed up and we've got stuff lined up on the tarmac ready to take off. So be sure to come back here next week on the Judicial Watch Weekly Up. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.